if the U.S. passed or repeal created a federal law that allowed states to opt in to online sports betting, I think you'd see this as a totally different market. But where it's been state by state, like you get all these different ideas. No, nobody wants to perfectly copy another state because it's not theirs anymore. Regulators kind of do their own thing. It's pretty difficult for all of these diverging groups to come together and create what we call the U.S. market. Hello everyone, season's greetings and welcome to the final Gaming News Canada Show of 2023 presented by Osler Hoskin and Harcourt LLP. I am your host, Steve McAllister. Over the next hour, regular guests Amanda Brewer and Phil Gray will be with us. We're also going to have a special guest, as, uh, Steve Ruddick, the author slash editor-in-chief of the Straight to the Point newsletter, is also going to uh, join us. Before we get rolling, however, I, I do want to say thank you today to uh, Eric Levy, Ted Liu and the rest of Osler's gaming division for their generous support as presenting sponsors of this weekly rendezvous and podcast over the past six months. They've been a great partner of ours, so thank you again. Let's get right into it. Um, we led the newsletter this morning with a piece on responsible gambling, just, just because there have been a few threads over the past couple of weeks. If you remember, we had Paul Burns on the podcast last week, and, and both Paul and Amanda talked about the Canadian Gaming Association's symposium last week, and which included a workshop on, on player health and well-being. Callum Jones of The Guardian had an exclusive report last weekend over FanDuel at the New York lobbying to have some language tweak around problem gambling, which was a bit of a red flag. And then Dr. Sally Gainsbury had a really interesting piece in GGB News this week as well, talking about how maybe, you know, responsible gambling is a, a term that, that's no longer applicable and, and had some thoughts on how to make RG or, or responsible gaming more top of mind with customers. And then the last part is, is Steve Roddick's written about this issue a couple of times over the past week. And as I often mentioned in the newsletter, if you, if you haven't had a chance to subscribe to Steve's Straight to the Point newsletter, I really recommend that you do. Steve's got a ton of experience. He's the currently the editor-in-chief of the of the Gaming Law Review. His resume includes previous stops as a gambling analyst with Gambling.com Group, American Affiliate, BettingUSA.com, Katina Media, and, and Global Gaming Business. Steve, maybe start with you. What, what was the motivation to, for you to, to spend a bit of um, wordage on Substack writing about responsible gambling in the past couple of weeks? Yeah, uh, responsible gambling something that's really been on my radar since um, the launch of online in the U.S. So even back 2013, I really started following it more closely a couple of years after New Jersey went live as it was becoming one of the key talking points for um, opponents of online gambling legalization. So I just wanted to make sure that I understood the topic, <clears throat> understood what the different concerns were. And um, I, honestly, the more I've looked into it, the more I've I've like changed my views on it over the years. And uh, yeah, so anytime you, you uh, if you read my newsletter, there's probably like a one in 10 chance that there'll be a responsible gambling story in it somewhere, just because it's something that's kind of always top of mind for me. Um, Amanda Brewer, I want to get you in here because we, you and I traded I think, text last, last weekend in, in the aftermath of the, of the guarding report. And of course we've, we've talked about RG an awful lot. In this in this form over the past uh, past couple of couple of years, um, you know, part of that discussion has been the fact that it has taken iGaming Ontario longer than anticipated to to have a centralized self exclusion program put in place, and 
that there is an RFP out now to start that process early in 2024. Is there is there a priority right now, or is there something that should be a focal point, especially in Ontario, with with regards to responsible gambling? Well, I guess two ways to two ways to to answer that. So one, RG was always at the center of the standards when they were developed, um, and the operators don't have a choice about complying with them. So anyone who has come in to get a license, both on the uh, AGCO and iGaming Ontario side, RG is is baked into everything. Um, the second is there has been a lot of um, discussion about the advertising and marketing and the use of, you know, and it's not to go down that rabbit hole right now, but the AGCO is certainly listening to the pushback uh, and, you know, the, the concerns that people have about the use specifically of professional athletes in some of these ads and how it could unduly influence, not that the operators are deliberately trying to do that, but there could be an undue influence that that spills over from this. The other thing, too, is IGO has mandated RG campaigns for every single operator. They need to have a report submitted. There's a form that was sent out to every operator, and they have to have it submitted. I believe it's by the 5th of May. And it doesn't matter how they run their RG campaign, if it's online, a billboard, a, you know, a television commercial, um, they have to have something in the market, you know, no later than, you know, Q1 so that they can get the metrics they need to report back to IGO in, in Q2. So, you know, the, the I would say the operators um, have a lot that is expected of them from the two sides of the regulatory body in terms of responsible gaming. But, you know, part of the reason Paul brought everyone together last week is, you know, is it a term that is just sort of not resonating with people anymore? And is it, you know, us having to look at kind of renaming it to adjust the focus because now that we have a regulated iGaming and sports betting market in Ontario, um, and there's more attention being paid on how operators are offering their products and services, um, are people's eyes glossing over when we say RG? And do we need to now just elevate it and, you know, spend some time examining that and coming up with a better way that, the, you know, the public understands the tools, the services that are available, customers understand the tools that are available, um, and that people who are opening accounts are going through the special, you know, the appropriate screening so that they are the right people to open accounts and deposit money and engage in this activity. So all that to say, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. So I think when this FanDuel article dropped in the Guardian, like, I don't know how that stink doesn't come up here on that brand because that's, that's, a, that's really abhorrent, quite frankly. That, that's Amanda Brewer, by the way. And, and also Phil Gray's back with us as always. And, and Mark Silver as well. Um, Steve, hey, did you just want to expand on, on um, Amanda's comments? Yeah, I think that's a, the Guardian article is a very intriguing one as we look in the grander scheme of things and how things are starting to shake out in the space. So you're starting to, I mean, every operator says the same things, right? That responsible gaming is a very important part of our culture. Um, we don't want that type of customer. But some of the things we've seen recently kind of um, hint at that it's, not quite always the case. So there was the uh, obvious lobbying by FanDuel in New York. There was the recent um, Jaguars employee who was stealing money to uh, pay cover some uh, DFS losses. And you kind of have to wonder how that person was betting that amount of money on those on those sites and not having any type of enhanced KYC checks or anything going on. 
So I think as we look at the space as a whole, um, what people say they want to do and what people are actually doing, we need to we need to find that balance between the two. And it's probably going to take regulators stepping in at some point. Um, Self-regulation is is nice in theory, but um, over the course of the history of gaming, we've kind of seen that doesn't always work in uh, practice. Hey Phil Gray, we want to get you in here because you've been involved in the in the sports book and gaming business for for more than 20, 20 years now. Yeah, I mean KYC has been in place for, geez, uh, you know, more than half a decade at most of the major sports books in Europe, and even some of the gray operators as well. And that was a protection against chargebacks, which was one of the uh, resource laden. Uh, line items in the budget at one time and that's why that's when kyc came in as a protection and also against minors as well i mean uh, most of the books have been very responsible in that regard what hasn't been addressed yet here in north america i mean it has been somewhat in europe with with the white paper in the uk a, a couple years ago is um how, how much can a client lose even with ver verification of funds which is which is now in place at every book you have to be able to prove you have the money to spend to lose, but how much can you lose? That's that's going to be another question because the model for you know every sports book I know is built on a VIP base, and you know there, there are clients that spend a lot and lose a lot, and fifty percent of the revenue for most sports books, any sports book really, is based on that VIP client base. Now they have to switch in North America to a recreational client base. And can, can you, you know, can you uh, make money off that without, you know, a, a large market share? And that's going to come, that's going to come to a head soon, even with people who, you know, have past verification of funds, they lose a great deal of money. Now they have someone to go to and say, why did I lose that much money, even though I can afford it? Hey, Steve, uh, I, I did, I, I cited this in the newsletter this morning and, and grabbed a, a, a section of your, uh, of your straight to the point newsletter, I think from Monday or Tuesday when you put this out and, and you, you had uh, three, three suggestions on what you thought an effective RG policy could, could be from a, in terms of three criteria. And that's uh, one measurable, two eliminating or not creating friction points for the better and, and three multiple off ramps. Can, can you just expound on that a little bit? Sure. So um, by, by measurable, what I mean is that a lot of the things we do, um, they, they sound really good. And then when you look at um, so data from Massachusetts that the operators submitted, where uh, there's been a lot of talk about putting deposit limits, putting time limits on players so letting them opt into these things and it's like one percent of players are using these so we spend a really a lot of time and energy on things that don't have any measurable um, indication that they're working so one of the things that i think is really important moving forward is the policies and the things we try to do they have to be measurable in some way we have to be able to track the results of them um, as far as uh, friction points i, th I think this is like a double-edged sword because if you're eliminating friction points for betters, you're probably creating them for operators. So there's there's a balance that needs to be done there. But we really need to make sure that when a better is looking to reach out for help, that it doesn't require them to go off-site. It doesn't require them to click through. It doesn't require them to close their web browser and then call a phone number. These are things that just aren't 
aren't conducive in 2023 for how people look to get help. Um, another thing is people that generally in the internet era are looking for anonymous help. They want to reach out and maybe talk to somebody, but they don't want to meet you face to face first, first time out. So uh, I think one of the really cool things on that front is um, Kinbridge is doing a, um, I guess like a, a trial with two operators in Colorado where when somebody self-excludes, they're immediately giving, given um, the option to do a telehealth session. So it's immediate, there's no friction to it. Um, there's a certain number of people have been doing it. it. I think it's a really, that's the type of thing moving forward that the industry really needs to, to get behind is things that make it easy for the better to get the help they need. And then um, on the third point, which was uh, multiple off ramps. What I mean by that is I think we have, we have basically two separate things going on right now. We have responsible gambling, which is like a pre-problem uh, program. And then we have um, the way we deal with problem gambling, disordered gambling, which is, okay, it's already happened. Now what do we do? It's very reactive. I'd like to see it more where a customer at any point in their journey is hearing the same things and maybe taking them in different ways. So you could say, um, my friend Jamie Salzberg likes to say that uh, be a better gambler is a better message than uh, responsible gambling or anything of that sort. Because it, it can mean different things to different people. It could mean to a sharp better. It could mean, hey, make sure that you're you know, double checking your lines, make sure you're doing the things you need to do to maximize your EV. And to somebody who's maybe struggling with gambling a little bit, it means something totally different. So it has a, these dual meanings for different people. And as you're traveling through your gambling journey, you can decide at that point what it means to you. So what it means to me when I first walk into a casino might be something very different than what it means to me five years into my gambling journey where I'm like, you know what? I think I've been playing a little too much poker lately. I think I need to be a little better about that. So I think there's all these different elements that we need to do. And I think so far what's happened is we've had what, I don't know, multiple decades of underfunded and basically little attention paid to these two responsible gambling and problem gambling matters. Now we're trying to play catch up, but I think a lot of the stuff we're doing is more theoretical. What we were thinking of in the 70s and 80s that would might work, but nobody had the funding to do it. I think now people are throwing that stuff against the wall. And I really think that moving forward, we need to have just a very easy and straightforward way of measuring what we're doing. If it's not working, stop doing it. Take chances. Things might work. Things might not work. But we need to be able to determine if they are working. Hey, Amanda, do you, do you want to add anything to that? No, I, I think what Steve's saying, you know, is is 100% accurate. What we were also struggling with here is lack of relevant data, uh, lack of local data on issues as well. So it was something that it's been a bit of a broken record this year. The fact that we actually need to get some research out there to figure out what the specific issues are in Ontario. We can't just, you know, but that's our lazy journalists who just, you know, go and talk to people over in the UK, which has a completely different attitude towards gambling and culture um, to gambling and just saying, oh, well, because it happened there, it's obviously going to happen in Ontario. So the hope is, as we get into 2024, um, 
we have some actual, you know, meaningful data that is based on the Ontario customer and the experience in Ontario that we can also use because, you know, to Steve's point, you don't want to make it hard for people to get help if they need help. You don't want to stigmatize them. Um, the whole point of this is it's supposed to be for people who can afford, you know, the, the whole issue of affordability, afford to deposit that money, afford to lose that money, more importantly, but also they enjoy doing this. Um, and it's it's entertainment for them. It's like going to the movies. It's going to a ball game. It's going out for you know dinner or something. So, you know, the hope is that we're getting customers who are you know able to play in a way that maintains a good healthy balance in their overall life. But you know, if you do need help, it's not going to be ten clicks away or a phone call that you know a phone number you have to go dial, but that it's it's easy and it's there. But I think that is also something that, I mean, it behooves the operators to make sure that that is easy, easy to find and accessible on their apps or on their websites as well. So, you know, there's, there's still, there's still work to be done. Hey, man, just on, on the, uh, on the iGaming Ontario, the self-exclusion program, I mean, is that, that as simple as uh, all sports books would have access or, or, would have the ability to, if someone had a, a, a gambling problem that if they, they had say a, a, an account with one sports book that they, if they went off that or stopped that account, that that would go across all of the sports books that they use. Uh, yeah. In theory, it's you, you know, you self-exclude from one, you self-exclude for all, but remember we had a really vibrant land-based uh, casino business in this province long before online came into being, and we have a handful of casino operators that are also online operators. So, you know, a perfect self-exclusion program will cover both land-based and online and also not force someone to open an account to self-exclude because there will be a lot of people that will need to be on that list um, who aren't necessarily gamblers, but people who are in addiction and treatment programs, maybe for other ish, other reasons, but it would be good for them to, you know, just, you know, be on a self-excluded list, people who have, you know, court orders, you know, and the whole rest of it. So again, you know, it's not just about the online space, but think of the whole ecosystem of the gaming industry in this province and, you know, how, you know, best to shape this tool so that, again, it, it's not hard, it's easy. Hey, Steve Roddick, we've beaten the advertising issue to death here, uh, you know, both on the podcast and, and in the news newsletter, um, you know, given your given you being based in the U.S. Like what what are your thoughts on advertising, especially given what George just said? Yeah, it's it's one of the more interesting areas of the industry right now. And I, I think um, it, it kind of goes along to the points we've been making previously, which is does anybody really know what the impact of those ads are? So I know in where you all are, it's one of the things about celebrities. And so then again, it comes down to, okay, so what is a celebrity? What, what constitutes a celebrity? Is, is a celebrity different than just a model? So if they just get to hire some random actor to do it, is that gonna have any different impact on how people view the, the ad? If the ad is good, the ad is good, right? <clears throat> so I think it's one of those things where I think what it will come down to at the end of the day is there'll be a lot of experimentation with different rules. Um, and the US will be wonderful for this because we have so many different jurisdictions that will have all their own different sets of rules and that nobody will really know what is working, what isn't working. And it will just kind of shake out to, I think, at the end of the day that 
how many ads is what is what people are going to be paying attention to rather than any specific content of the ad or a specific language that's used in the ad which is a, a big thing down here i know you guys have the uh bonus bets thing up there there was a thing with affiliates where you weren't allowed to do any type of bonus thing i believe so it's, yep. there's all these different things that people are trying and and i'm not sure exactly what the impact of those of those measures are so down the road we might just see you know things kind of shake out to like a, a median range where everybody goes okay we we started really high you guys started really low and we're all kind of just filtering down into this middle range where we've just kind of figured out what we're willing not not what is best but what we're willing to deal with what the public is willing to accept yeah and i just want to go back uh dr michael lorraine from brock university has been on the show before and talked about the need for independent research and Unfortunately, Mike couldn't join us today, but we had a back and forth on email this morning, and, and Mike was telling me that he was um, that Brock was denied a, a hundred fifty thousand dollar research grant to to look at um, RG and, and other issues uh, in the regular American Ontario by the by the um, provincial government earlier this month, and I know that's been a source of frustration with with Mike is not being able to get access to funding for those those kind of research grants that the government provides. And um, so, yeah, Amanda, I guess when you, when you hear something like that, you wonder, you wonder why, why a request like that is turned down. And again, I might, you know, there might, there might be other factors at play, but um, that does seem to be a common theme again and again, that there's just not much research out here when it comes to Ontario. Yeah, I know Shelley White, the RGC had a few operators that had thrown in some money and I believe there is some research um, underway already, but yeah, that seems a little, you know, it's a little disappointing to hear. I mean, in 150,000 in the grand scheme of the Ontario government's budget is probably a, a drop in the bucket. But um, my only hope is that, that, you know, money had been allocated for research at some other organization and it's underway is the only thing I can hope. Um, and yeah, we'll have to see what, we'll have to see what comes out next year. A word from our sponsor. The Gaming News Canada Show is presented by Osler, Hoskin and Harcourt, LLP. Osler's gaming practice has the insight needed to help clients navigate the complex and evolving landscape of the gaming industry. Osler's position as a trusted advisor in the gaming industry has been built over years of service to operators, suppliers, and gaming authorities. Visit osler.com slash gaming for more information. That's O-S-L-E-R dot com forward slash gaming. Hey there, sports fans. Are you looking for fresh and fun takes on the hottest topics in Canadian sports? Well, we've got just what you need. Introducing Homestand Sports Today, your go-to daily sports newsletter, bringing you the Canadian angle on the hottest NHL, NBA, footy stories, and more right to your inbox. But wait, there's more. Homestand Sports isn't just another text-heavy newsletter. Every story has its own video featuring our talented hosts like me, Albert Vartanian, giving you a newsletter experience like never before. And did I mention it's a free subscription? Subscribe now at homestand.ca. Now back to the show. Steve's thought on this, well, maybe start with Phil. And and, it, and again, we, we do get people who listen to this this show and, and the, the podcast that comes out subsequently on, on um, you know, just for, for people who are, are getting a sports book app for the first time and getting an account just on the kinds of things that they should look at and, and um, you know, it's almost like the responsible gambling is maybe an afterthought sometimes, but Phil, are, are there, 
Are there some things that when you're signing up for a sportsbook account, you've never bet on sports before or played or been an iGaming uh, customer that you should that you should look at with regards to RG? Yeah, well, first contact with uh, you know customer service is um, boy that that's you know the utmost um, point for sportsbooks to have a great customer service that's knowledgeable um, that can explain uh, the parameters of of what the sportsbook offers. And we'll and we'll offer um, now now um, more than ever um, uh, links to what responsible gaming means, but also what the sports book offers. And uh, that first point of contact is, is is always the most important. And then you know a new client will 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 take it from there on their own and, and explore and and see what the what the book has to offer. You know, how shiny is it? You know and you know. <laughs> Really, it's, it is kind of it is kind of that. Um, now you see it, you know, a lot more bells and whistles, a lot more betting options, exotic options, um, and that that appeal that appeals to uh, to the new better, and and they go from there on their own and, and how they progress, you know, whether they become just a, uh, you know, w- which happens more often than than not, you know, just a a one or two time better, and then they never come back, or you know, they get interested in and become more of a recreational better. Hey, Steve, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think for a new a new customer, especially, it's it's what I would give them for advice for anything in general. So uh, I own a martial arts school. And when somebody comes in and says, oh, um, I wanted to try your school, I've, um, I've been I've never done anything before. I would say, OK, well, try it and then go down across town and try that. And then go over there and try that. And where are you comfortable? What well, what is it if you because a lot of people, especially first-time betters, they just assume that the app they signed up for is the standard operating procedure for apps. They don't know any any different. And so I, I would always Yeah, the, the percentage of first-time you know signups and, and depositors, it, it, if you can even get a client to deposit that, you know, we'll, we'll place one or two bets and, and then never come back. Is extraordinarily high. I mean, Amanda will agree with me. That's you know, it's 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 a mandate within a sports book to try and get people to stay on the site. Very very difficult. There's so many clients. You know, again, it's just absolutely you know mind boggling the numbers. People that come in will either come onto the site, talk to customer service, and actually you know we'll 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 make an account and never deposit. The numbers. You know, you wouldn't believe that they're absolutely extraordinary. Hey, Steve, you want to want to go on there? Yeah, so it's um, I, I totally agree with that, I and mean, I think that's the the big challenge for a sports book, and especially in a competitive market, is you have to assume that people are going to try different things. So the the question I would start asking when somebody places a couple of bets and then leaves, were were they just bonus hunting? Were they just looking to cash in on any type of specific deposit bonus are they trying out five different sites and they've decided that um, site c is the one that's for them um my experience with it going back to even you know i've started playing online poker in uh the late 1990s i think right on planet poker when it first came out and it's always been that you would think that people always gravitate towards what's considered the best product but uh, that's not been my my experience with new customers, some people just like a color scheme. Some people, it's the, the right. sound of it. Some people, it's the home page. But um, to, to like circle back to your original question of like, what should a person look for? 
when they're looking at like responsible gambling messaging or any type of anything of that sort. I would just say like, well, what is your first experience with the app? Like, what is the first thing they're feeding you? What's the second thing they're feeding you when you log in? And then look at, you know, as you go and you try three or four different apps, you'll see probably some slight changes in what is the second thing that's being fed. You know, everybody's going to get that bonus first. That's going to be your first point of contact usually is some type of ad. But the, what, what are the second and third points of contact that you have with them? Is it Does RG come up in any of those spaces? And if that's something that's important to you, that's definitely something you should be paying attention to. Ease of layout and and the first contact again with customer service. How knowledgeable are are they? And and you know how, how um you know where where can they send you on the site and help you to understand ease of layout, um, uh, betting options that that appeal to 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 a first time client and and um, you know stuff that stands out. Free money, you know, double the payout, get your bonus here. Um, things like that, that to a new client keeps them on the site to some extent. But again, if if they're just wandering around, very tough to keep them on the site. It's very easy to identify bonus abu- abusers now. I mean, it's, it's so obvious from, from, from the get-go. Um, there's so many checks and balances in place for that now. That it's very hard for them to come in. They'll just come and go. Um, it's the, the industry has changed on that front so much in the last few years. Hey, Amanda, I'll, I'll give you the last word in this topic before we move on. But I, I guess, uh, in, in the Guardian article, uh, Brianne Dorish uh, Shawal, who is a problem gambling lobbyist, suggested that uh, you know, operators really just kind of paid lip service or, or um, played the RG card when they were going through the process to, to be regulated, whether it's in a state or, or a province in Ontario. But it wasn't, you know, once once they're regulated, they're they're not doing a whole lot in, in that area. Like, what, what, what would be your response to that? I think that's one of the most damaging accusations that could be leveled against an operator. Um, you know, certainly on the Kindred side, we experienced a whole bunch of customers that were there one day and gone the next um, you've got, you know, 47, I haven't looked uh, lately, but, you know, almost 50 operators in this market. So it stands to reason they're trying a whole bunch of different operators and why they like one over another is, you know, one of a thousand different reasons. But, you know, the fact that I know the AGCO and IGO worked really hard to make sure that RG was, you know, embedded throughout all of the standards. Um, and to find out that operators who are supposed to be coming in here with this wealth of experience with this and, you know, supposed to be leaders, you know, to the rest of the operators because of their wealth of experience are all of a sudden just doing that, you know, paying lip service or trying to actively, you know, roll back uh, parts of standards or regulations. Um, you know, it, it's just like... <laughs> You understand why we have all that negative media attention up here and why those, you know, fingers get pointed at the operators Um, because, you know, we, we have such a hard job trying to convince the public and the media that we have standards that we follow and, you know, we're not out there to behave nefariously. And then, you know, stuff like this surfaces from one of the biggest North American sports books in the world. And it's just, I don't know, I have a head cold, so. I, I, it's just, it's just, it's, it's kind of just pinging off the fog in my brain right now. And I can't even like, but like, how does, how does that help us here in Ontario when it, it's such a hot topic, you know, hot button emotional issue here in Ontario? How does that help? 
it doesn't. The, the, I had I had a European operator come in, and one of the first thing first things he asked us, Steve, was, "What's your bonus spend?" And we were we were a little stingy, you know. Why give away free money? About seven eight percent. And he just his just his jaw dropped to the ground. I mean, he his remark was, "If, you, if you're not spending twenty percent, you know, on on bonus, like, you you ain't gonna." hang around you know hmm. so it's still it's bonus 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 you know people want free money and that drives them to the site along with yes the parameters and the aesthetics of the site absolutely and you know event offerings but bonus 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 that's the industry give them yeah. free money yeah and i'll say my my inbox certainly gets I, I do get a lot of bonus offers from from this the sports books that i that i've signed up for uh for sure. Hey, Steve, just if you can put your journalist hat on for a second, as Amanda was talking, it got me thinking about the Guardian piece. And again, the Guardian's been pretty critical, um, critical of, of, of this industry uh, to the point where I, I think they they announced earlier this summer that they were banning gambling advertising. Although ironically, when I was on the Guardian story yesterday, uh, two, there were two pop-up ads for stakes. So I'm, I'm not sure if they've w- withdrawn the policy or, or what's happened there. But And I think, you know, we've talked about in Canada, CBC has also been fairly critical of the of the gambling industry. And, and since Ontario launched in April 2022, just I'd be curious your thoughts where you, you think the reporting from mainstream media has been balanced on the industry. Yeah, it, it reminds me a lot of um, the early days of trying to get uh, online casino and poker legalized in the U.S., um, I've always explained it as it's much easier to make the argument against it. They make really good sound bites. Um, Sheldon Adelson famously coined the click a click your mouse, lose your house for online casino. And then his um, India boot, his like uh, right hand man would go to in front of hearings and he would just pull out his cell phone and go, this is a casino in everybody's pocket. So it, and then it takes somebody with a more nuanced perspective it takes three thousand words to counter that so what are people actually hearing uh, they're hearing that first one they're hearing the easy sound bite it's really easy to attack um, gambling it's really easy to you know if you were trying to defend um alcohol it's it's a lot harder to defend the use of it than for somebody to just come up with especially if the story is very anecdotal and it's just a single person and their experience, it's, you, it's hard to counteract those. So I, I think that that's one of the things that gambling will will always face. I think it gets, a, it becomes a little easier over time. So as the industry matures a little bit, the legal industry, because we're used to the illegal industry. And then you also have the, the added layer of that where anything that was legal gambling would probably was probably talking bad about the illegal gambling for several years before that so that was one of now um, in the us the companies that want to get into online casino are finding that oh well you know all that stuff we were saying in the uh, aughts is kind of coming back to haunt us because the people who are still against it are just using our own words against us the arguments that we were making before because they were just really good talking point arguments uh, let's switch gears because Steve, I would still have you. I, you know, 2023 has been a been just a insanely busy year, and I, I look at your own situation and and starting the straight to the point newsletter, and I think you know we've seen 
a growth in the coverage of of the industry over the over the past year with with more newsletters springing up and again you know people like yourself and and uh, Dustin Gauker and Scott Longley and and the kind of the earnings and more uh, empire that he's built in in the UK that there is a lot of information around this industry but that's also because there's so much news around this industry um, hopefully not putting you on the spot here, but are there kind of two or three stories in the American gambling industry that have really resonated with you this, over the past 12 months? Yeah, there's, um, so if I really racked my brain, I could probably come up with a list of 50, but uh, <laughs> I, I, off the top of my head, I would say that like the the biggest story for me in um, the U.S. space, at least, has been the um, exits and the drawdowns of different companies that have the, you know, the pretty much given up quite quickly on competing in the space and then um, you've also had a few, a few resets which were massive resets so you had valleys which uh, seemed to be trying to bring everything in-house and had this great grand strategy and then decided just to throw it all in the rubbish bin and start over as a you know with Camby and as a basically a white label product you had obviously um, the bar stool to ESPN transformation which was a uh, kind of caught everybody off guard a little bit i would say so there, there there's a lot of um i think people are realizing just how difficult the industry is especially in the, i it, it's difficult in the us for a variety of reasons but one of those reasons is the state by state approach so if this was a federal if the us if paspa the paspa repeal created a federal law that allowed states to opt in to um on online sports betting I think you'd see this as a totally different market, but where it's been state by state, like I was saying earlier, you get all these different ideas. No, nobody wants to perfectly copy another state because then they'll just, it's not theirs anymore. Regulators kind of do their own thing. Some regulators are well-paid like the ones in Massachusetts. Some are basically volunteers and only, you know, show up like once every two months for a meeting. So it's, it's pretty difficult for all of these, uh, diverging groups to come together and create what we call the U.S. market, which just isn't the U.S. market. And I think a, a lot of the companies that have either scaled back or fully exited the Unibet, um, Foxbet, there's all these different ones that have just said, no, we're done. Churchill Downs very early on. Um, and I think they're just realizing like this state by state approach isn't for somebody who's the small guy who's looking to maximize profits right away it's it's more for these long-term approaches to companies that have more national ambitions yeah and i would think steve you're you're absolutely you're singing to the choir up here in canada too where again where you know this this is regulated gambling is happening on a province by province basis mm -hmm. and only in ontario so far so we're we're quite familiar with that uh with that storyline and then steve last question for you just just your thoughts on the espn uh, bet because again the espn such a, a big brand we're certainly familiar with it here in canada and i think uh, people in the industry up here are watching are watching espn bet and, and how it's going to compete with uh, the DraftKings and fan duels and, and bet ngms and caesars of the world yeah, that, that's the, the million dollar question in 2024, right? Or actually probably the uh, $5 billion question. I think that's what <laughs> invested so far. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, the, the early returns we've seen in, I think, three states now, Iowa, Indiana, Maryland, look pretty good compared to what Barstool was doing. But you also have to consider that it, obviously the new launch, you had a lot of new promotions being given out and Barstool hadn't been 
um, promoting very much to begin with. They didn't use affiliates. They were pretty much doing all internal marketing from that. So with ESPN, there's been a little bit more external marketing. So it's it's interesting watching that first month. I don't think we'll really have a, a general idea until like maybe six months on of what their market share really looks like. I think if I when I um, parsed it out over if, if they were operating for the full month, they'd, they'd be around getting close to 10% handle, which isn't a bad start. But if that's on the back of uh, promotional offers that won't be there going forward, then that changes the dynamic a little bit. Yeah, Steve, they're, 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 I mean, the phenomenal out of the gate success with ESPN on the brand, absolutely, and also catering to new gamblers in the U.S. just because of the brand and enticing them with a lot of offers. But you know what? They're, they're also operating on different rules, and, and they don't care uh, from sports from sportsbook operators. You know, if you, if you have a, a multi-leg parlay and, and one is a void, it's you know uh, that that should still be a winning bet with a reduced payout. And they're not doing that. They're 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 you know losing the whole parlay, and that's unheard of in the industry. What they're doing, and they're getting away with it. Great, yeah, thanks, they, Phil. I was going to say they they definitely. I would say as far as like uh, casino companies go, Penn is a very on the conservative side of things. They're so that 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 can be something to watch forward, especially as people you know with social media and everything these types of stories start to spread. But I would assume that they're going to change that policy based on the press they've gotten from it down here. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different things. And again, it's just it's going to come down to, so they've, they've attracted these customers over. Maybe they've created some new customers. I think there have been some good uh, female numbers from the ESPN vet brand in the early days. Can they keep them? That's the thing. So as we were kind of talking about before, you know, how often is somebody going to try one sports book and go, okay, this is perfect. They're probably going to go some, try another one after they do that, especially when they see, oh, I can get one of these deposit bonuses everywhere. And then it's kind of um, the product and the odds and that, those types of things tend to win out, even though the people will still gravitate towards, you know, the, the aesthetics of the site or things that they specifically like about them. Yeah, they have the brand and and an immediate deep well, and uh, I mean their pricing and, and they just you know it's they're they're yeah they're, they're going for people that don't that don't know and don't care and and are and are new and just want to bet and and bet at a, a brand that's you know called ESPN. It, it looks great. I mean, it's uh, yeah. Steve, uh, Steve Ruddick is the editor-in-chief of the Straight to the Point newsletter. And as I mentioned at the top, um, uh, a must-read must if you want to want to learn a little bit or just keep on top of what's going on in the gambling industry south of the border, but, but also just on the, the general topics around gambling as well. Steve, really, uh, it's, it's overdue getting you to join us here on, on the Gaming News Canada show. So thanks so much to, for doing this. Um, Hope you feel better, and and we'll get you uh, we'll get you back on the new year. Yeah, anytime, and thanks for having me. Yeah, and a very happy holidays to you. Thanks again, Steve. You too. I uh, want to get back to Amanda Brewer. We've got uh, a few minutes left here, and and want to talk about about the biggest stories in Canada in 2023, Amanda. And I, again, I think I I did give you and Phil a bit of a a heads up or <laughs> or warning this morning that we that we talk about this topic and. Um, you know, maybe just maybe set the table here. Just I think when you look at uh, what iGaming Ontario's reported 
over the past 18 months in terms of handle and and gross gaming revenue and what what that's brought into the uh, the province of Ontario. I mean, that's certainly a story that comes comes top of mind is just how successful that this this uh, marketplace in Ontario has been in, in less than two years. Yeah, I think if we kind of take it from like January to December, uh, IGO started uh, putting out some more robust figures. Um, you know, all the expected operators were starting to come in, you know, DraftKings launched and um, we started to see the number of licensed operators kind of double and then double again. Um, and then it was the revelation that we're a casino market, which, you know, might have come as a surprise to some people because all we talk about is sports betting, but it's actually the casino play and the casino revenue that's that's driving this market. Um, and then, you know, you leap forward to March and April and it was uh, Carl Subin's tour, um, you know, including stops at what was it, CBC News and CTV News, um, to start railing against the advertising and specifically advertising during hockey uh, games, um, and how that was, you know, corrupting the minds of small children, and you know, operators were deliberately trying to target minors. So that started a whole, excuse my language, shitstorm. Um, and that has been something that, you know, Paul Burns, the AGCO, um, because we did get consultation on revised standards um, and the in the industry and the broadcasters have been now kind of it's raised itself up to be pretty high on the priority list. So AGCO has, has um, signaled we should see something, but they've basically got about a week to come out with um, their their guidance on those standards. If not, we'll see it in the new year. Um, but I think, you know, the other thing we learned at the um, player health conference last year, last week, excuse me, from the Ipsos research was that there's still a lot of work to do explaining what a regulated industry is and what a licensed operator is. So I think, you know, if, if anything coming into 2024, um, there's a pretty clear idea of what the low hanging fruit is that has to be addressed. Um, and also um, not, you know, a happy topic, but I, I do believe the current number of operators is not sustainable in Ontario. And we'll probably, as we get into the first half of the year, start seeing some operators like Univet, my former employer, um, decide to uh, exit out. Just the path to profitability isn't there for them. Right. And Phil, someone who, you know, who's worked in both the gray market and, and then Ontario's regulated market, like just your your thoughts on what you believe the biggest stories were in 2023. I uh, just comment on Amanda's last uh, point that absolutely you will see the market shrink in Ontario. And that was that was obvious from the beginning to to a lot of us that have been here for a while. It wasn't um, obvious to, to a lot of the operators that came in. Uh Steve, the biggest story is that you know people like me and Amanda, superstars in this in this industry, are now free agents. So if anybody out there is listening, we're, we're taking off. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, boy, you know I, I look at it as the big picture, Steve. And I was thinking about this a little while ago. I go back to you know let's go back ten years to sitting here in, in 2013 and imagining where we are now in North America. We kind of knew it was coming, you know, it, it was inevitable, but you could never. You can never envision of what what we have now. You know, back then, um, you're gonna get hair on your palms if you gambled, and now you know gambling's for everybody. It's, you know, it's it's all over the place. It, it that that to me is is just remarkable. Uh, I go back, you know, let, let, go to responsible gaming, and there's been so much around that that has been in place for a long time, and a lot of the 
buttons that you know legislators legislators push on you know sign up and you know not letting certain people gamble that that's been in place for so long what hasn't been addressed yet steve and i'll go back to it is limits how much are you allowed to lose how much are you allowed to win there's been no discussion around that and you know if you want to talk responsible gaming you have to address those two points um i think it will come at some point but it's not it's an uncomfortable talk topic for uh, the sports books no one in government has addressed it yet uh, but they will at some point uh dr michael narain i guess is his lunch finished early so dr michael narain from brock university he's he's joined us and uh wants wants to get in the conversation before we wrap up here go ahead mike yeah steve can you hear me uh, uh, yep loud and clear oh perfect yeah yeah the, the lunch wrapped up so I, I was able to jump on uh, yeah no i wanted to really quickly jump in and, and say um yeah no i mean i agree with both both phil and amanda and I, but i think for me at least the biggest story in 2023 is how much talk there is in the space and yet you know little action particularly from the agco and igo i think you know when we talk about you know amanda brings up the carl suban tour um you know even the bruce kid tour and you know there, there's a lot of other people touring out there with a lot of stuff to say but not a lot of empirical research to back it up that to me and i've been on the show many times saying the exact same thing that we need to invest into the space what you know the operators are investing here and there but without any you know standard guidance from i go on what is the exact number you need to be investing into um, your research and education when it comes to RG, but we also need to look at IGO. Like, what what is IGO doing to promote you know research and education in the space? You know, between RCG, you know, there's a lot of talk and not a lot of action. So I think I think that that's kind of my take home message from the biggest story of 2023 is now that we've got this amazing market. And I agree with Phil. You know, we never knew what it was gonna when it was gonna happen or what it was gonna look like, but it's amazing that it's here. But if we want this thing to be sustainable, we also have to put money into it. You got to spend some money to make some money. And I, and I think, you know, for the government to be fully transparent with, you know, what are they doing with the new tax revenue that they're generating? What are they doing for mental health and, and health care? What are they doing for education when it comes to this? And so, you know, it, it can't just be on the operators alone. It's got to be on the regulator and other stakeholders to really work together to, to get that empirical research out there. Yeah, it's interesting, Mike. I, I spoke to a member of parliament a couple of weeks ago, and I, I asked that question about why why wouldn't the province be transparent about what they're doing the revenue? Because there could there could be a good story to tell, and and uh, you know they kind of politely listened to me and not, nodded their head, but uh, I didn't get much much of an answer out of them, and, and really didn't expect to. Hey, Amanda, just to Mike's point, like how much. Um, you know, this has been a bit of a tumultuous year for at the AGCO. Um, Tom Mungin departed as a, as the CEO in September and was placed replaced by Dr. Sh Karen Schnarr, who's just kind of getting her feet uh, wet in a new role. Um, you know, I always try to cut iGaming Ontario a little bit of slack because they they didn't have a whole lot of time to put get this market up and running 18 month, months ago and. And uh, so, again, I'm not quite sure, you know, getting getting that market uh, going and, and what has to be done since. And if, if, if you know, this, this is still a, a, a market and organization that's still in their early days. But, but I'd love to get your thoughts on just what, what Mike and I are saying. Yeah, I, I don't think it's early days anymore, Steve. We're going to be celebrating the second anniversary in April, and that is just a handful of months away. 
Um, and I think that, you know, again, I was talking about the low hanging fruit. We all forgave some things because it was imperative to get the market launched and to get like, you know, operators licensed and have them come in and be compliant. And that was really important. But, you know, when's the last time an operator launched in Ontario? It's been, it's been months. So, you know, on the IGO side, you know, we're still waiting for an AML tool. We're still waiting for a financial reporting tool, the CSE, which we thought we'd have by this time last year. Maybe there'll be an RFP that, you know, comes out. So there, there are still much needed tools um, for the operators that are still lacking that will make their ability to comply easier, you know, less burdensome, you know, to work in this market. Um, and on the HECO front, you know, we have said they've been very progressive with their approach to regulation and they've been light touch. You know, the reaction to the outcry over the sports betting ads during the hockey playoffs last year uh, caused the HECO to sort of over rotate into being more prescriptive, which we hadn't seen. Um, with Karen coming in now, I expect a bit of a reset. Um, and I think we just wait and see what comes out from them um, when their guidance is uh, is delivered. I think with Karen there, you're going to see someone who's very commercially focused and understands that, you know, decisions have to be made that are not just in the best interest of the operators, but the best interest of the customers as well. Um, so that's what I hope as we get into 2024 is both sides, the AGC and I go can come together and just start looking at the lens with a, a very commercial focus because you want your operators to be compliant and make it easy for them to be compliant. And you want the, your customers also to be healthy um, and to be able to enjoy the product safely um, and for that not to be, you know, difficult or, you know, at a, at a, at a high risk level here. So room for improvement all around. How's that? That's uh, that's pretty pretty good. Hey man, on the other thing, on Mike's comment about the about the government and, and transparency, and that I mean, the, the, it's, it hasn't been exactly the greatest year for for the Ford government on a, on a number of, of issues. I mean, is, is there not is there not an opportunity here for for Doug Ford and company to to tell a good story about the gambling industry and the tax revenue that's come in and and that money being steered towards specific programs? Um, the short answer is yes. It's something that you and I have talked about because there's never been a disclosure from the government about what they're doing with the revenue. And I think there probably is a good story. So maybe that's something, you know, we can tackle next year. I apologize. I have to jump to another meeting, but I wish everyone a very happy holiday. This has been a lot of fun this year and I look forward to picking it up next year. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Amanda. And the same to you. And that's, that's a great uh, segue to, to wrap, wrap up here. Um, as always, uh, Mike Durain, thanks for hopping on late. We'll get you back on the show early in the new year. Uh, Phil Gray was a bit of a latecomer as a regular this fall. So, Phil, can't uh, thank you enough for being part of these um, get-togethers on LinkedIn Audio every week and and having your voice on the podcast. And, and look forward to uh, having you here again in, in 2024. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Steve. It's, it's been great fun uh, the last couple of months. Yeah, we also want to thank uh, Steve Ruddick for for appearing today, and and also thank uh, Chris Abbott, who's who's been with us for most of the ride in in 2024. Um, we are going to take a couple of weeks off. This is this, as I mentioned at the top of the uh, top of the show, this is our last get together for 2023. Uh, we'll be back on on uh, January 4th, 2024. And again, thank you so much to Osler Hoskin and Harcourt LLP for their presenting sponsorship of, of this, uh, of this form. 
Um, also about the newsletter, we will put out the final newsletter of the year on Tuesday. And then we're, again, are going to take a couple of weeks off and, and uh, recharge our batteries a little bit. So we'll be back with the Gaming News Canada newsletter on, on January 4th as well next year. Um, really want to thank uh, uh, Sean McCormick and Stevie Zimmerman for the work they do in the background. Uh, Mark Silver, who, uh, in addition to his duties as CEO of Parlay Media Group, uh, is executive producer of these get-togethers every Thursday and, and turns out a, a pretty coherent podcast, despite the host, on, uh, on Monday morning. So, Mark, thank you for that. Thanks to all our guests this year. Um, you know, this podcast has become uh, an important destination for people who work in the industry to to, to keep track of what's going on in the sports betting and gaming world, with obviously with a focus on Ontario and across the rest of the country. But uh, we're lucky enough to get people like Sue Schneider at SBC and Jessica Wellman from SBC, um, p- people who come on from other places, um, Lindsay Slater and John Pappas from GeoComply. So uh, this, this, uh, this show has become a great place for expert voices around the industry to come and and teach us a little bit about what's happening and keep us on top of the the latest news so i do want to thank every every single guest who's appeared on the uh on on the show this week and uh we'll continue in 2024 to make this make this a place where where people want to either join us on linkedin audio every thursday afternoon or or do want to listen to the podcast be because they believe there is value and and that we do provide a valuable service to to the industry um, so to everyone, have a, just a wonderful holiday season. Please, uh, please be safe um, for the people that are are traveling, whether it's in your in your car or, or flying. Please uh, be careful out there. Uh, the best to everyone and your and your families. And we look forward to seeing everybody back here on January fourth, twenty twenty four. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at gamingnewscanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.